Good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to see all of you, new students, old students, old professors, young professors. Uh, well, it's, it's a joy to be with you. I, I don't know what your experience of last week was, but I think the only way I can best uh, get a hold of the impact of last week, uh, just on my, my life, my wife's life, and the, the friends I have here and, and the community, was that for me it was like going up in, high into the mountains where I love to go in Colorado, up into the 14ers, into the 14,000 foot peaks. And to be honest, you really don't go up into the 14ers a whole lot. And every time you do, you remember, you remember it for a lifetime. So I, 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 I was thinking back last week as we began our centennial year how uh, I was so blessed to come in at our 50th year anniversary as a student. And, uh, and when I came into our 50th year as a student, who was my professor? Who was my mentor? He's sitting right out there right now. He taught me how to love God and how to love the word, Dr. John Oswald. I mean... Thank you, Lord. <laughs> well, last week it felt to me like when Dr. Tennant stood before us um, on Tuesday, that it was like the 14er of his whole ministry here. By 14er, I mean like the highest peak. And he was there leading us and and he shared the, uh, the accounts of, of Saint Augustine, and and, and you know he, he went on and he went on to um, uh, talk about the runaway horse, and and then he shared the history of who we are as a people of a gathered community, and I was in tears up here just with gratitude for that history, with gratitude for the worldwide impact of. Asbury Seminary. Then on Wednesday, uh, Reverend Legrone had double duty in the morning and, it, and then at night, and it was astounding to me, you know, the, how the Lord spoke through her. And I, I mean, one of the big takeaways I hope you got from last Wednesday morning was that, you know what, just expect times of refreshing and times of rain and times of goodness and expect times of drought and hardship. That's just life, life in ministry. Then Thursday, we divided up. Uh, uh, I went in here with Jim Dunn, and, and y'all went over with Carolyn Moore. I wish I could have been in two places at one time, but, you know, it, it just, and then Wednesday night, my heavens, I, if you were not there Wednesday night, I really hope you'll go back and listen to who we are as a people. And, and you'll get a, a, a wonderful synopsis of it on both Tuesday morning and Wednesday night. And so now here we are. You cannot stay up on the mountain, okay? <laughs> when my uh, son was somewhere around seven years old and I had him way up in the mountains, uh, in a wilderness backpacking trip, and it was in October, and it was already getting cold, and he just, when it was time to go home, he 
seriously, seriously begged me, said, Dad, let's just live here. I don't want to go back. Let's just stay here. I said, son, in about one month, this place is going to be covered deep in snow. So now, what do we do? All right, here it is. This is my uh, old backpacking uh, pack. This thing's seen a number of miles way up high in the mountains with way too much weight in it. What do we do? All right, you put it on. It's a heavy load, and you start out doing the work before you. In the normal time, in the normal day, with all of the burdens that we are called and all of the assignments that we are called to carry. It was the morning after Easter of this year when I was just caught up in really awe and wonder over the, uh, over the uh, high Easter celebration we had at, at our congregation the impact, impact of it, and, and as is my custom, I was in the Word that day, that morning, and the New Testament reading for that morning was the New Testament reading from Hebrews that has been read for us. Verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, uh, not a popular preaching topic today, is it? But it must be central for us. It must be central. We cannot deny the core of the gospel. How much more will the blood of Christ? You're going to learn in TH 501 and in all your other classes, this is the atonement. This is that which set, sets things straight. This is that which reorders the whole of creation. The atonement that was... Uh, that was confirmed by the resurrection. So how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, the only one who could make the atonement, the only one. Uh, what's he going to do? Look at it. Read it. Purify our conscience from dead works to what? Do you see it? to worship the living God. We're gathered as a community. We're gathered as a community of grace. We're gathered as the people of God. What are we gathered for? We're gathered to be a worshiping community. This is our first priority. This is who we are. This is what we are now. This is what we will uh, be transformed into and this is who we will be in that which is to come the worshiping body of Christ so it's a beautiful summary passage to us on the gifts of atonement that are freely given to to those who repent and tell and, and you know we want to get a hold of this New Testament understanding of repent okay it's 180, you know, it's, it's, it's not a Mickey Mouse uh, uh, half-hearted thing. This is an all-in. And friends, as you all know, we're in a most needful time in all of human history right now. 
that really is asking us to be all in to what the Christian faith invites us to be. So all of these gifts that he won for us, they all have a purpose. The gift of justification by faith and the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives are intended to move us into very specific ways of living. That's why we're gathered this morning. That's why we're here. That's why you are, are going through this journey. Very specific ways of giving. Do you know that when I came to Asbury Theological Seminary, I don't think I'd ever heard of the term means of grace. Almost sure I hadn't. And I'm a lifelong Methodist. And I'll die a lifelong Methodist. Uh, but I didn't know the story. I'd had no clue about the story. And so we see in large measure, not only is worship a means of grace. Now, what does means of grace mean? Oh, I know, I know. It's something you really work hard at, right? And you do yourself, and then God blesses you, right? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. A means of grace is where you simply avail yourself to the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. And as such, it's something that we are called to uh, enter into through the help of the Holy Spirit our entire lives. Now today, let's just look at this, this practice, which is also a way of being, which is a great invitation to us, which defines who we are, which uh, sets our whole course, uh, both here and in heaven. It is a worshiping people of God. Worship is. Got some words now in your mind? Worship is. Are they popping up? Biblical words popping up now? Oh my, where, where all could we go for worship? Well, you got to start in the Old Testament, okay? You, got, you just got to start there. So flip over with me real quick to, uh, to Psalm 95. I mean, we could start in all sorts of places, but... Uh, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise. That's worship, this joyful noise. And, and man, y'all made a joyful noise this morning. <laughs> I, I loved it. I seriously loved it. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands... Everything is what he's saying. Eight, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Oh, that's going to be key now, as you're going to, you're going to see. So uh, what are we doing in worship? Worship is the appropriate human response. Get it now? Response to who God is and to how the Lord God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is working in our lives and in our world and in his creation. 
So what do we do? We thank the Lord. We ascribe worth to Him. Think about Psalm 34.3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Yesterday, Dr. Oswald told me there's 17 he different Hebrew words, you know, to get a hold of all of this stuff like magnify. What do you do when you magnify, huh? You make it big. Not me. You make him big. Oh, magnify the Lord. Exalt. Now, what do you do when you exalt? Do the motions. What, what, you lift him up. We're, we're lifting the Lord up. Uh, praise. Well, what are we doing? We're, we're saying that you, Yahweh, you are worthy of my adoration, of my love. You are worthy of my everything, for you are the source of all that's good. Bless. I love this. When we bless someone, we are bestowing goodness upon them. And I hope you're doing that with your fellow classmates. You want to bless them. You want to lift them up. You, you, want to be a, a, you want to be a source of joy to those around you. Oh, here's the good one. Do you know the Hebrew word, here I am, totally presumptuous, talking Hebrew, so I'm not going to try and say it, but do you know the Hebrew word E-X-U-L-T? Anyone want to... Uh, show us what the Hebrew word, I mean demonstrate what the Hebrew word E-X-U-L-T means. No, no takers. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, it's really dangerous and there's a cliff up here. And uh, so I'm going to be, I, I'm, uh, just put yourself in Rupp Arena. There's a lot of E-X-U-L-T going on in Rupp Arena. What is it? Man, you're jumping up. You're jumping up and saying, you know, you're doing all the hallelujahs and all of that because God is great. <coughs> Excuse me. And he has worked in your life. Oh, or go to even the New Testament word. One of the secondary words for the New in the New Testament on worship is literally and actually the word serve. This is my service. I owe it to God. This is who I am. Now, look, I've been created by God, I've been loved by God, I've been redeemed by God, I've been given life by God, I've been given new life by God, I've been given meaning, I've been given direction. Man, what's my response to this? It's worship. That's the response. Now, of course, there's a huge issue for us. Why is this practice of worship so critical for us, especially now at this point in church history? Well, not only is it who we are created to be, but there's an entering in here that I'm not even sure I've got the language for. But there's entering into realities that transcend who I am and who you are and most definitely transcend my understanding. It's critically, it's critically important in this day and time when the world is a mess. 
you know, there's portions of all of our lives that's still a little bit messy, right? <laughs> you know, God's still at work. He's still redeeming. There's uh, 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 denominations are in a mess right now. So here's the deal. You know, a lot of this is about motions. I'm created. Everything I am is, has been a gift to me, right? Everything. I receive that gift, right? I don't earn it. I'm not a self-creating creature. I'm not even a self-sustaining creature. I'm a very, you know, needy creature. I receive what he has given. What does he ask? Give it back in praise and adoration. Give it back in total commitment. All end times. These are all end times. Give it back. Give it back. So we're created to receive and then return. Oh my gosh, but the sin nature. Oh my heavens. You can all sum it up. With the Pauline phrase translated into the Latin by uh, St. Augustine and later by Martin Luther. You know the phrase? I'll get out so you can see the, the motions. In curvatus in se. Forgive me, those of you who are Latin people. I re Here's how it works. In curvatus in se. I receive the goodness of God, and what do I do? I loop it right back into my own life and make the whole thing become about me and my advancement and my whatever, my, uh, my health, my wealth, my well-being, my status. God save us. Friends, you've got to understand the difference between individual sins and sin nature. That's the sin nature, trying to bend everything back, everything back to wrap it around what I, uh, how I want to order the universe around me. We need a mighty Savior for that. We need a mighty work of grace in our lives for that. It's called sanctification. And that's what our heritage is about. That's who we are as a people of God. Now, um, the great tragedy about us is that this fallen understanding of the self is what's driving our, ent our entire culture now. Da uh, or Jim Dunn on last Thursday morning offered a phenomenal illustration in this chapel on Thursday morning uh, about this very issue. And so we're, it feels at times like we're swimming against the tides even in our own lives, and, and indeed we are. Let me share an experience, carefully chosen now, uh, to, to try and get across an important point about experience and how you see the world and how I see the world and, and, and how we discern and understand um, my uh, Martin grandparents came from Cornwall, England. 
through Canada and then ended up in North Dakota. My Martin grandmother came from Scandinavia and she ended up in North Dakota and they got married in the very early 1900s. Now it is my theory that the Scandinavians must have loved beets. You know what I'm talking about? They're those big old red honkers and and uh, um, and if you pickle them, you know, I'm so sorry. I apologize ahead of time for this. But if you pickle a beet, it's like I get an, I, I just look at it and I gag, you know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Some of you probably love pickled beets. Anybody want to confess, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, Dr. Oswald, oh, we got a bunch of y'all love pickled beets. But you got to understand, my mother... Uh, her family uh, migrated from England, but they ended up in the South. And so what did I grow up with? I grew up with cornbread, oh yeah, and black-eyed peas, yeah, and, and squash and, and, and okra. Some of y'all don't even know what those things are, you know. <laughs> That's the soul food. But my grandmother, Martin, would, would inevitably have beets, and, and I just... I mean, there were only two things I didn't like as a little kid, and that was one of them, and oh, I would gag. Now, in the, in the spring, our, our Sunday school class became, was very intent on doing everything we could to support uh, Ukrainians in this country and do what we could, and we are still doing this, uh, doing all that we can to support Ukrainians. And a part of what we did, we... Uh, um, Members of the class went to Ukrainian worship services, and, and we, were, we were doing, I mean, I've got to confess, our class raised money to buy bulletproof vests. Hallelujah. <laughs> we really did. Uh, and, and we sent bulletproof vests. Uh, and we're continuing to do things like that, to protect the Ukrainians to do what we can. So the, 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 the Pentecostal Ukrainian church on Brandon Road, do you know that church? Boy, if you want to worship God, holy cow, just go to the Pentecostal Ukrainian church. Well, they, they had a big, big uh, kind of meal in which they invited the community and hundreds and hundreds of people went. So our whole Sunday school class Went and we're going through, and I see this marvelous bread, and oh, I'm I'm excited, and then we get to this big bowl of soup, and I look down, and I think, oh Jesus, help me! <laughs> it's beets, <laughs> and I looked around, and and I just heard the Holy Spirit say, Steve. You're 70 years old. <laughs> Would you please act like an adult? <laughs> I mean, I literally heard him, and so my shaking hands are out there getting the soup, and, and I, so we had to go sit down with our uh, Ukrainian neighbors, and, and of course, so I said, all right, I gotta try some of it. So I tried to work around, you know, the, and I tried a little bit, and I whoa. That's kind of not bad. <laughs> and then I dug down a little bit deeper, got a little bit more, and I thought, oh my heavens, what is this stuff called? 
I drained the bowl, <laughs> beets and all. I was flabbergasted. I love beets in borscht. You know, it was awesome. We even went, we bought some stuff. We went home and then I came back, Diane and I came back and we bought a, a to-go thing of that stuff. I mean, all right, now there's a purpose in that. There's a purpose in this story. <laughs> Here it is. Here it is. I need you to get a hold of this. This is kingdom stuff now. Your experience can be the mother of delusion. Oh boy. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Your experience can actually mislead you. The culture says, trust your gut. No, Christian face it. Don't trust your gut. Are you kidding? You trust the living word of God who is Jesus. The face says, man, if you feel it, follow it. The word says, no, restrain yourself. Walk in the way of righteousness. The culture uh, just downloads into our children's life. You know, if this is your definition of who you are, live it. Friends, no, we say no. That's not the way of Christ. The Father has a definition for our lives. So let's be clear. What's unchanging? What, what's unchanging is the living word of God, Jesus. I mean, the Father is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's our constant. That's what we hold on to. That's, that's, that's our security, our anchor. The gospel does not change. Ever. You don't suddenly get a new revelation to add to the good news of Jesus Christ. No, you get some new revelation and you start destroying and unraveling the good news of Jesus Christ. And never ever can we allow the culture to come in and define this gospel for us. All right. Then what does change? Any thoughts? Right here. Right there. That what, that's what changes with an encounter with the living Lord. And friends, in, in these classes you are privileged to be a part of, I know if there's a heavy load, I know it's there, but there's encounter for you. There is encounter with the living God. Now, are you starting to see where worship comes in? Worship begins by bowing down before a holy God. What are you doing when you bow down? Yeah, you are. You are you're submitting yourself. I'm the inferior. You are the superior. I am submitting my life to your goodness and to your life. Worship is ascribing worth. It's in lifting up, raising back up, and ascribing worth. Worship is part of how the Holy Spirit 
not only breaks the chains of the outward sins, but brings those sanctifying graces into our life that we just got to have if we're going to be the people of God and not walk and live in sin every day of our lives. There's freedom here. Or think about our global situation. Oh, my heavens. I don't even want to think about it too much. But we have to. Turmoil all around. Climate disasters. Political anarchy. And we see a Russian dictator displacing the lives of millions of innocent people. Now, when we see things like this and experience things like that and we see the whole world on fire, there are a lot of negative practices that we can enter into. You can enter into hatred. You can enter into fear. What in the world's going to happen to me in all of this? What in the world's going to happen to the world? And then all of that dumps out, unloads into despair. But right here, once again, the practice of worship is so important for us because the resurrection of Christ is the first fruits. New Testament word, first fruits. First fruits. It's the, you know, or the Arabon, it's the down payment of that which is to come. It's the assurance that it's not all falling apart, that there's something far greater in control than what we know about sometimes. Death and destruction does not have the last word. And so these means of grace, including worship, our first priority is used by the Holy Spirit to form and transform God's people. In other words, worship is forming us into a certain kind of people. And when the people of God worship God, then His goodness and His mercy and His love all hold not just our fragile lives together, but the fragile life of the world. Look at these pics if we've got them. I think it's the perfect illustration of worship. Um, well, it's okay if we don't have them. But just envision, and maybe here they come. All right, so this is a Ukrainian woman. That's her house. Her house has been destroyed. What's she doing? Watering plants, flowers. I'm telling you, this is what worship does. I think there's even a second one about the fields. Yeah, so here's the wheat field. You know, Ukraine's the breadbasket of the world. And so, you know, what does worship do? Worship plants the crops, waters the crops of the crop of holiness in our lives. Look, in our ongoing private, family, and corporate practices of worship, we're planting the beautiful, eternal flowers of faith, hope, and love. And... and and by so doing, we are placing our focus and our adoration not on what's wrong with the world, not on these heavy burdens that symbolize behind me. Yes, I know you have a heavy burden in your assignments. That's not where our focus is. Our focus is on the one who is loving us all toward a glorious conclusion which will only be the beginning. So church, let's stand together. Let's stand, church. Let's stand.
Do you know, do you know in all the early Methodist chapels, there were kneelers? You know, why did we cut the kneelers out? I'm not real sure. So what do we do? Let's just bow in worship now. And in our own way, say, thank you, Lord. We praise you. We bless you. We worship you. We submit our lives to you. You are our God, and we thank you that we are the sheep of your pasture. We're in your hand. Lord, you cover over us with atoning gifts. Lord, you sanctify us with your Holy Spirit. We worship. We love you. Now let's lift our lives up in worship and exalt the Lord and say we bless you, Lord. We thank you. You are good. You are gracious. You are holy. You are righteous. You hold all things together. And now I want you to take from Revelation 4, I want you to take every accomplishment you have, every degree you have, every anything, take it off and throw your crowns, throw your accomplishments at the feet of Jesus. Even as we sing. Praise God from